By His blood my sins are forgiven. By His blood I've been made whole. Dear friends, so far astray, come to Jesus today, and by His blood sinful soul. By His blood my sins are forgiven. By His blood I can make Dear friends, so far astray, Today. 
Which one of you guys hit that last note? Yeah. Wow. You guys got you a high tenor there, man. All right. Great job, ladies. I'm over there champion on the guys. That was beautiful, fellas. Ladies. Hallelujah for that. Hey, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. Good to be back. Always love coming here. Our dear friends here, and of course, preacher and missus, are just dear, precious friends of ours and have made such an impact on our ministry long distance. And uh, they've, uh, every time you get around them, you can't help but be lifted in your spirit when you get around them folks, man. Faithful, raised wonderful family, and we have certainly enjoyed the time with them. They've, uh, I tell you, I, I was just bragging on them the other day, our folk, and of course it's Valentine week, or at least last week was, and, and uh, I said, I don't know anybody that knows more places to spend time with her or his wife uh, then, Brother Brown, then people go everywhere. Uh -oh. And they don't never travel but 30 minutes, but they know everybody. Amen? And so I said, they said, well, if we can uh, make it happen on Monday, we'll go out for a, a brunch before you guys head home. And uh, I said, well, you guys definitely know where to go. So we're going to be hanging out with them, I guess. And uh, certainly enjoyed it. Had a great time last night. And uh, that's one of the bigger uh, outdoorsman's banquets I've ever been to. And you guys do a fantastic job and putting that thing together and getting so many people to come out to that and uh, that was an exciting time we'll have to load up our bus and bring uh, some of our fellows and ladies over uh, next time and pack that thing out I said you guys you got to find a bigger uh, venue for that and uh, man you squeeze them all in there and uh, I'll bet you I'll bet if you got a, a 500 600 seat facility you'd pack it out I'll bet you would and at least it wouldn't take long and uh, all right Matthew chapter 11 Matthew chapter 11 what did I do with my phone there Jeremiah there you go God bless people who are techie and uh, I hired me one so it was cheaper to hire one than to have me take all the time figuring out how to turn my phone on all right, it's easier just to just buy me an assistant and then say, make it work. I don't care how it works. Don't explain it to me. Just make it work. That's all I want. You know what happens when you get uh, on, I guess. I'm 56 years old. I still can't believe I'm saying that. I feel like I'm 36 until I get up in the morning. And then I find out, oh, that's true. The, the calendar's right. Amen. I, 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 we're going to do a little thing. We're going to do a little... Uh, I, I, my wife and I spent 12 days in the Holy Land last month. And uh, it's just a fantastic trip other than the flight. And uh, my, we're 13 and a half hours. And God didn't create me to run around on airplanes. Amen. I mean, they give you that much room in those things anyway. And then you're there, and there's usually one screaming child. Amen to that. And, uh, and then you, I got over Greenland. And I'm looking at you how they give you that map on there that kind of supposed to be giving you encouragement. And I'm thinking five and a half hours into this flight from Istanbul, Turkey, and all I got is seven and a half hours more. Man, you talk about getting discouraged, man. So after a few days removed from that flight, I was uh, looking forward to going back. And there's so much to learn. It's amazing how wrong you can be about things. Amen. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that here this morning. I had to throw this in there because I pastor in Holland, Michigan. This is the most depressing moment of my trip to the Holy Land. We come around the north wall of the old city, and what greets me but a windmill. I thought, these suckers are everywhere. You can't get away from Dutch people, right, Van Dusen? You can't get away from those Dutch folks, man. And uh, so I threw that in there just to be uh, uh, an encouragement to our folks. They think that Holland is the Holy Land, and uh, that's why it's spelled so close together. In fact, I even put that on my little uh, registration card last night. <laughs> well, hey, before we get on into that, let's look in Matthew chapter 11. I've been doing a series titled Lessons from the Holy Land. It has been uh, greeted with tremendous uh, uh, help by the folks uh, back home. And in uh, fact, we're praying for them. Prayed for them a few times this morning. My assistant, uh, Brother Potgetter, is uh, covering there. Shore Miss being at Lighthouse. 
But uh, we've preached this series there, and it's just been a real help to the people. So I'm hoping uh, this will be a little bit of a help to you this morning. Saved and lost alike. You'll see application for both. All righty. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. Excuse my voice if it starts to crack a little bit. And uh, been doing the old sickness thing along with everybody else. Amen. Verse number 20 of the 11th chapter of Matthew, the Word of God says, Then began he to upbraid the cities, wherein most of his mighty works were done. That's critical to what we're going to be learning today. So most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. So he's upbraiding them because they repented not. And then here it is. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. Why? For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. Why? For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you, that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Father, I ask for your help again. Lord, I love that song. Just You are indeed the mighty God the ruler of all. Father, I never want to get over that. The honor that you've given to me in this one life that I have to preach your word, to encourage your people and hopefully to challenge the lost. Lord, I know of no one's spiritual condition in here but mine. I know that your son is my savior. I know that you are my Father, my Lord, my God, my Redeemer, my Reconciler. Father, I thank you that you are the only one who is altogether lovely. You are indeed the desire of all nations. Father, you are the courage of an Abraham, the persistency of a Hannah, Father, I thank you that you righted that wrong preacher of Jonah. Father, I never understand a Haggai or Habakkuk story, but I know that you are the God that would call them, empower them, commission them. Father, I thank you that you are the door, the way, the truth, the life, the mighty God, the everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. God, I thank you that you're my shepherd, my good shepherd and great shepherd and chief shepherd. And Father, just thinking about you, how I fall in love with you all over again. Lord, to think that you're everything, the bread of life. Father, you are the refreshing water that flows within my soul. Boy, Lord, there's not an area of my life but that you don't cover it with your grace and love. Father, I thank you for that. And for those who are here this morning that do not know you, they've played with religion. I hear people say about how we tried Jesus. Father, they don't know you as Savior, as Lord. God help them today to see it. And those who are here today that have become really have just become casual in their Christian walk. They're not what they used to be. Little by little, they've fallen by the wayside. They've become religious, but they've lost that fire. God, I pray that you'd work in their heart today. Bring revival to your people. Bring salvation to the lost. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as we look at uh, this, we're 
we're on the uh, uh, area. Let me see if I got the, the map up here. This is kind of where we are. I don't know how this works out on, on y'all's thing. But uh, we're up here in that little round dot there. That's the Sea of Galilee. And that's where this all takes place. And uh, in fact, I don't know if it'll go big enough, but you might see an, a word there, Tiberius. We're not far outside there. This is the general location. You know that, that um, uh, a drone that got shot down two weeks ago? Uh, and the um, F-16 that they lost, Israel lost, when that uh, Iranian drone came over from Syria? To the right, to your right, that just above that square, you see the Golan Heights, and we were right there on that border. That's where all that happened, was right in that area. And, uh, but you can see, I did, one of our guys asked if we could put a map up there to kind of get us geographically situated. You see Jerusalem's down here, about, uh, you see down there above that next uh, uh, grouping, I don't know if you can see it there, off to the left. You see Bethany, the Dead Sea, just north of the Dead Sea. And that's where all this takes place. All right, Jesus was born. I'm going to show you this in a second. Hold on. That is called Moses' seat. All right? They set him, you know, the Pharisees love to sit in Moses' seat. I'm not saying I'm a Pharisee, amen. But uh, Moses' seat, that's where they would set to read the law in the, in the synagogues. And this is, a, this is inside a synagogue here. But Jesus was, was, the, the, uh, uh, was born in Bethlehem. Raised in a place of Nazareth. But he chose the city of Capernaum as his adopted hometown. You'll notice that most of his mighty works were done right there. In a very small area, really, you could get in 15 minutes drive time, you could cover all three areas that were spoken of in our text today. But Jesus Christ, he ushers a judgment upon these three cities, and we're going to choose one of those today as our thought. Again, in verse 21, he says, Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! Those two cities are right neighboring cities close by, and not far away is Capernaum. The city is only mentioned twice in the Word of God, and it teaches us two vital truths that I'm going to show you later on in the, in the uh, message here this morning. But you're going to find something that's consistent in Chorazin, which is consistent in United States Christianity. I want to say this, that I believe United States Christianity has moved a long ways from Bible Christianity. We have become complacent in our walk. We've become religious without redemption. Hey, we have got ourselves in such a place that you can go into churches today and never hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what happens when religion moves in and revival moves out. And that's where we're at right now. There are people in our uh, congregation this morning that have grown into the place of religiosity and have left the redeeming one of Israel. You wonder why your life is dead, why there's just not that fire in your bosom anymore. There's a cause for it I'm going to show you here in just a second. These final two truths will serve, I trust, to awaken us and subsequently warn us while we have the opportunity to respond. This, I mentioned that this where I picture have my wife standing is inside a synagogue, the ruins of a synagogue in the town of Chorazin. <clears throat> this is uh, uh, just the entryway into a house. And it was called, as you can see, the House of the Arches. Amen. It's amazing how these things are still standing 2,000 years later. But this is inside a home that was in the city of Chorazin. And it's just a fantastic place to walk into. It's just unbelievable to be a part of it and to see that. This is just one of, this is one of the areas, things that they would use to decorate the walls of the synagogue. And they'd have all these little things all through there. This is another area looking from the entryway, yes, from the entryway to the synagogue. That would be the, the doors walking into the church house. From standing those doors and looking into the auditorium, this would have been a view of the synagogue 
of Chorazin. Then things are going to begin to change. This again is shooting down one of the walls and you see some of the ruins there. And you see, if you look real closely, you can see uh, some of the chiseled out decorations. The things, how they would decorate the synagogue. But God says He cursed it. He said, woe unto thee, Chorazin. Why? He gives a couple reasons behind it. God's judgment is exercised on Chorazin for this initial purpose. Because they had not recognized the mighty working of God in their presence. I want to tell you this, that God has been at work in your life from the very moment you were born. You and I, we don't create our own oxygen. We are breathing something that was given to us by the grace of God. God has shown Himself in a mighty way in your life. Time and again, I was just talking to an old man, a Korean War veteran. The family called me and said, we're not sure he's, he knows the Lord. Would you come by and talk to him? And I went by here two weeks ago, spent some time with him. I said, let me ask you this, Mel. And I said, do you know, when we had had a long time of talking, and I said, do you know that heaven will be your home? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? He said, yes, I do. I said, can you tell me how? He said, I know by five different occurrences in my life that God, that I know God. I said, what is that? And every one of them talked about cancer or an attack or an event to where he should have died, but he didn't die. Now, you might be one of those here this morning that are holding on to that same thing. You were in a car accident and you thought you should have died and the doctor said there's no hope. But all of a sudden you made it through and you said, therefore I know that God has me in His hand. Don't be fooled by that, friend. The Bible said God's not slack concerning His promises as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He did not experience the saving grace of God. He experienced the long suffering of God. And you're here this morning and you say, I should have died in that car accident, but I didn't. That's not salvation, friend. That's the long suffering of God. He's given you another chance to come to Him. And who but knows that this morning may be your last chance. I don't know if I've told the story here before. It just come to mind. I was in uh, Bible college my senior year, April of 1995. I'm walking out, was working with a buddy of mine who pastors outside of Denver, Colorado now. We were coming out of his house, working on our term projects together. And I get out to the sidewalk, and there's a fella coming this way, and we meet at exactly the same point. And I was just being friendly to him. I said, how you doing? And it was obvious he was a transient. He was probably went from mission to mission, maybe even across the nation. But he was obviously a homeless man. And usually when you greet a transient person, they will not look you in the eye. I said, how you doing today? And he looked up at me with the most piercing blue eyes and said, I'm doing fine. How are you? And instantly the Spirit of God convicted my heart and said, talk to him about Jesus. My reply, as a senior in Bible college, I'm not proud of it, but I'm bearing my soul for you this morning. My response was this. Well, Lord, he's not going to fit in anyway. He's a homeless guy. You know what kind of pathetic, not just from a Bible college student, but from any Christian kind of response is that. I went on to chapel about 20 minutes later. I'm in chapel. There's an evangelist there named Joe Mark. Nobody knew what had just happened. I didn't tell Dave Browning, my buddy, and I didn't tell anybody. And I sat there in chapel, and Joe Mark, preaching along, says this. He says, the moment you think you're better than somebody else, you're of no use to God. Whoa. I went home from chapel for lunch and went down to my office, and I started weeping. And I said, God, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. And if you give me another chance, I won't blow it next time. Next morning, I get up at 2.30 in the morning, head to work at Federal Express just outside of Great Falls, Montana. 
up on the butte there. They have the airport, and I get off work. I'm racing back down to try to get ready to get to class, and there's someone hitchhiking. Whatever that highway is, I think it's 89 or something, coming out, of, uh, coming by Great Falls. Somebody hitchhiking. And man, I'm racing down that highway doing faster than we ought to, but for the grace of God. And uh, I get close to him and I recognize the coat. And I said, I know that coat. And I got by him and went, that's him. I said it out loud in my car. That's him. Man, I got down to Fox River Drive and spun back around, went back up, spun back around, come back down, threw the door open. I said, get in. A guy looks at me like, what? I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going downtown. I said, so am I. I wasn't, but I am now. Man, got to talking to him about the Lord. And I told him a story I just told you. We get down around 7th Avenue North or so, and he starts shaking. Man, he, he's nervous. I said, listen, friend, listen to me. I said, God is the God of another chance. He's not the God of a second chance because I've had three and four times. He's the God of another chance. But I said, you do not presume upon his grace because one of those chances will be the last chance you ever get. And I'm telling you right now, this may be your last chance. I say that same message to you this morning. Today may be your last chance chance. That man started shaking. He said, oh, oh, here's fine. Just pull it. Just let me out. He started to get out. I locked the doors on it. I said, look at me. I said, now listen to me. I don't know your condition with God, but here's a gospel track and I've already told you the gospel. I said, now you need to make a choice. All right. So you think about that. And I let him out of the car. I've never seen him since. I've said time and again in my heart, I wonder if one day I won't be sitting, I won't be sitting in a meeting somewhere and some guy will get up and tell a story about one day I was hitchhiking in Great Falls, Montana and this tall, freaky-looking guy pulled me over, gave me the gospel. I didn't get saved then, but as I walked back to the park bench where I'd sat on, I pulled out that track and received Jesus Christ as my Savior. You see, we can't. Presume upon God's grace. God has done many wonderful things, many mighty works in your life, and time and time and time again, you've just brushed it off as if God owes you something. The presence of God has appeared to every person. The light, or Christ, He's the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And not only is Christ the light, He's lighted every man that comes into the world, but the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. God has issued His grace to you to pull you close to Him. He's done many mighty works in your presence. And you continue to reject Him. Corzine did that. The unexplainable. Can you imagine the works that were being done in that little city of Chorazin? Jesus Christ, knowing coming across people perhaps. You know, there's many things that should be written that couldn't be written. And John said, I perceive the world itself couldn't contain the things that ought to be written. So we can surmise there was much more that was done. And it says here in Chorazin that many, most of His mighty works were done in that city. That person that was born blind, that person who had the horrible accident and was paralyzed, and Christ gives him legs to walk, gives the man eyes to see, ears to hear, a tongue that speaks, a paralytic hand. You remember the time when he said, stretch forth that hand, and that palsied hand reached out. Most of his mighty works were done in that city, and we can't even fathom what he's done beyond those. And every time, People to explain it away. You know what? We're Chorazine. God's just been good to us because of who we are. Oh, no, friend. God's been good to you because God is good. That's just who He is. It had nothing to do with you. So don't sit back thinking that, hey, I'm all right. God will give me another chance. You're here this morning. You've never repented of your sin and called upon Christ. 
Today may be the last opportunity you have. You look here. This synagogue used to be filled with people. Now there's nobody there. Judgment had been issued upon that city. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. God's been doing mighty works in your life, things you can't explain, but it's undeniable. To accept Christ for who He is requires people to accept the truth of their error. If you're here this morning without Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're probably like most people. You would rather be wrong than be humbled. You see, there's something about coming to know Christ as your Savior. You have to admit that God's right when he, what He says about you. You like to think you're all that in a cup of tea. But in reality, He said there's none good. No, not one. You, my friend, without Christ, are the enemy of God. But you don't want to admit that. Why? You see, we would rather be wrong than be humble. I say it this way. Perhaps like Corazine, you'd rather be popular. You would rather be popular than godly. Why do I say that? I'm going to show you right now. You'll notice here, Let's see if I can bring it out. I, this sign is inside. Can you read that? The synagogue decorations. Can you see that? That caught my attention because of what I'm fixing to show you next. I said that God had cursed and administered judgment on Chorazin because most of the mighty works he had done had been done in that city. But now we're going to learn something about Chorazin. Why would they not humble themselves? Why would they suffer God's judgment? This was interesting. Can you see that? You know what that is? Anybody ever heard of the Greek god Medusa? Medusa was the one that had the wild hair, the snakes and everything in her hair. And that when people would look at her, they would turn to stone. I think it was Perseus that would eventually, uh, mythologically speaking, kill Medusa by, I think he had her look in a mirror. I'm not sure, but I think that's what I remember. I've not researched it. I should have. Uh, but I think he had her look in a mirror. But a Medusa. Do you remember the slide before? It said the decorations of the synagogue. Can I ask you, what is a Medusa doing in the house of God? What is it doing there? If we think back, there was an empire that was ruling at that time. Under a great Grecian influence, it was a Roman empire, and this was the things that were popular at that particular time of the existence of this synagogue. I said a while ago that Chorazin had rather be cursed by God. They'd rather be popular with this world and to humble themselves and be called godly. I can see this discussion going on in that synagogue as more and more people come by. It's a beautiful location. and More and more people come by. And then more and more, you know, they were beginning to lose perhaps some of their young people. Some of their young families began to go on down the road to the cool synagogue. You know, the happening synagogue. Well, all we had here in the synagogue of Chorazin, we still had that old-fashioned Bible music. When we sat here at Chorazin, man, I tell you, that old-fashioned rabbi of ours still using that old Masoretic text. We don't have the cool stuff going on. So I can imagine one day that some of the remaining younger folks by the corner, that old preacher, been there for years and said, Rabbi, we need to talk to you for a second. Listen, we understand that we're going to serve Jehovah God. We understand that. But you notice that we're losing a few more people in our synagogue, and they're going on down the road a little ways because they got a lot more hip stuff going on. Do you think it'd be possible? I, we don't want to mess with the Word of God, and we don't want to mess with, with that. You can still do your own preaching, but perhaps we can do a little something to make us more palatable to the world. Maybe we could... I don't know. 
know, a lot of the kids are having parties and having video games. They're playing now with this Medusa. Maybe we could just carve us out a Medusa and put it in the synagogue. That'd be all right, preacher. Now, I know, I know that you, that doesn't quite strike you right, right away. But hey, if we start right now, just little by little, we could start bringing more people back in. We could do more things for Jehovah God if we just bring a Medusa into our life. I can imagine that old rabbi, seasoned by years of faithful service to Jehovah God, but being wore down by the influence of the culture. And say, you know what? As long as that's the only thing we do. Many mighty works had been done in their presence. But they wouldn't repent. They were more concerned about being popular and cool than they were about being godly. Perhaps that's your condition. I don't know if you've ever seen the show Sheffy. If you haven't seen the show Sheffy, then you will not get into heaven until you witness it. You'll have, there'll be a little viewing room right off to the side outside that gate. And you're like, okay, go in there and see it. And once you've seen Sheffy, then you can move on into uh, the New Jerusalem. All right? But uh, in, in, uh, in Sheffy, they, his, he's trying to win his aunt to the Lord. And she says, I'll have you know, Robert, we are not sinners of those type. And then later he would say, she said, I demand you apologize for considering our family in need of salvation. He said, I'll apologize for nothing but the misplaced values of this home. What's your home like? What's it like? Do you have some misplaced values? Are you more worried about your social reputation and your spiritual condition? Would you rather have a Medusa in your life than a Messiah in your soul? You see, God had done many mighty works in your life but you sit here today in the same condition you've been in since you came aware of your condition. Same. Been in church your whole life. Never been changed. Repentance toward God. Faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Chorazine tells us that God's done many wonderful things in our heart, in our life. But it also tells us this. There are consequences to rejecting God's grace. There are consequences. Again, in verse 21 of your text, Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works had been done in you, that had, uh, had been done in you, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. In other words, you should have repented, but you wouldn't. Because you're too caught up in the culture of the moment to worry about your eternal condition. Repentance is required for you to come to Christ. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. God will grant you repentance to the acknowledging of the truth if you allow Him access to your heart. You see, grace has its demands. To the lost, you must accept the grace of God. And to the saved, you must apply it. Grace reveals our guilt. When confronted with your guilt, you are required to repent of your lifestyle. Grace empowers us to believe or to escape the judgment brought upon by sin. Escape it. You see, grace makes salvation possible. Faith makes it personal. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Grace has made it available to you. And then faith avails it. Has that happened to you? Think about it now. Again, is there a conviction, a drawing, a wooing, a missing something? Do you have that sensation in your soul? And it's time to respond to the grace of God. I was talking to one of our young fellows. He's 12 years old. 
He's struggling. Goes to Christian school. So every Wednesday night after church, he and I will sit on a platform here and I'll talk with him. And he, he says this. He says, I don't even know if I believe there is a God. I said, all right, why is that? I'm, you know, God's not afraid of that question. I'm not afraid of that question. He says, well, that makes sense. He says, uh, if he's God, then why would people like Dave and Debbie Porter, evangelists, I don't know if you folks know the Porters, wonderful, wonderful servants of God. Debbie's been without a hip since July of last year because of an infection. David is dying of cancer, brain cancer. They say he may have as little as four to six months to live. He says, why would God do that? I said, I got a better question for you. He said, well, what's that, preacher? I said, you know what you're missing? You're looking at the judgment of God, but you're not looking at the cause of the judgment of God. I said, even people as wonderful as a Dave and Debbie Porter, the Bible says we're all sinners. And it only took one act of disobedience in the Garden of Eden to plunge man in a place of animosity toward God. One act. I said, so my little friend, I said, the question is not why is Deb, Dave and Debbie Porter going through the suffering they are. The question is, why aren't you? I said, that should bring you to the goodness and the grace of God in sparing you from that and should humble your soul in His presence knowing that you deserve the judgment of God on your life. It only took one sin to condemn mankind. They did not realize all that God had done for them. And I ask you, do you understand what's at stake? Corzine thought it was no big deal until it was too late. Even when confronted with the consequence of the rejection, it still meant nothing to them. How many times he had wooed them. How many times Christ had stood in the very synagogue my wife and I were in. He stood there and would draw them and would woo them and say, Come, come. How often I would gather you as a hen of their chicks and you would not until it was too late. You want a Corsi? You want to be popular with the world? You can. But there's a consequence to your response to God's grace. Parkview can change. They can be hip and cool. They can bring in the Medusas into the church. And they can pack this place out. Have to build a whole new big facility. But there's consequence. Consequence. Many mighty works God has done. This message is for the saved and the lost together. To the lost, God's done many mighty works in your life, and yet you have, you have yet to yield and humble yourself under His mighty hand. And to the Christians, we've seen God do many mighty works, but we've settled back on our leaves, haven't we? Man, we used to be so excited about God. Woo, man! Victory in Jesus! What a great song! Amen! But now it's like, I've heard that song so many times. Remember when amazing grace was an amazing visit to your soul? Now they're changing the words. Not a sinner such as I, but a saint such as I. Church in Chicago changed the words to it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a saint like me. Really? Saints don't need saving, slick. But they didn't want people to feel bad. I was told at the Mel Trotter mission and the missioner in Holland, they said, preacher, we need to talk with you. I said, what's that? He says, we need you to, to just, just listen, just don't preach so negative. These guys already know they're in a bad way and they already feel bad about themselves. They need to be lifted up and encouraged. Encouraged in what? Bless God. They obviously have not gotten low enough to realize there's no place out but Christ. But we don't want to make people feel bad. So could you maybe, and just, we don't really need invitations, they tell me. So don't preach negative and just don't give invitations. In other words, become a Joel Osteen or somebody. Ain't going to happen. I listened to a preacher friend of mine, been about 33 years ago now, and I was listening to his sermon, and he said, generation of vipers 
you hypocrites. And I thought, dude, that preacher's rough. I heard another preacher saying, repent. Who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I thought, man, these preachers are rough. And I said, man, what preacher was that? Jesus, John Baptist. Good preacher friends of mine. Hey, we're not going to burp you all the way to hell. It's time for you to stand up and be counted for Jesus. Is today the day? You don't know you got a tomorrow. You've been raised in church your whole life. You've been in Parkview for decades. You've never been changed. You don't have that personal walk with God. You say, how do you know? Because I pastored 20 years as people in Holland, Michigan. Same people. Different faces, different names. Same people. Every church I go to, I preach to the same people. You see, we're all just alike. You ain't no better and no worse than anybody else. You're just like everyone else. Counsel with some, one of our young fellows just this week. And he says, preacher, I don't want you to think bad of me. I stopped him. I said, whoa, hold on a second. What do you think I think of you? Are you thinking that I think you're all that? I said, friend, listen to me. Have you listened to me when I'm in the pulpit when I say, when you look at other people in church and you think, man, I wish I had it together like they do. And I say, no, they're as screwed up as you are. Do you think I just say that to fill space? No. We're all just alike. Oh, we got ties that match our socks, and we're pretty slick about that. But we're all just as filthy and vile as the next one. Every one of your lives are screwed up. So let's get off our high horse, get down where God can get hold of us. And now you can realize that I'm just like, they're just like me. You look over like, wow, sister so-and-so? No, not her. She's perfect. Him? Man, if I was just a, if I could be a husband like he is, and a father like he is. And he's thinking, Lord, I wish I was so much more than I am. Hmm? Now, what about it? Those of you here today without Christ, is today the day? Or will you choose a Medusa? You have the choice. It's yours. Would you rather be popular than godly? Would you rather be honored by the culture than humbled by the Christ? The choice is yours. Let's stand together if you would, please. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Just for a moment, I'll not keep you.